From the Black Fortress, flying through the galaxy as part of the army of Slayers, it's the IGN Digigods. Please welcome two guys being controlled by Zontar, the thing from Venus, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Oh my goodness, what an interesting reference that was. Uh, Zontar, huh? Corey, who Zontard us? That was written by Cameron Moises, who appears to know more about science fiction than I do. <laughs> Corey, Corey. We love Corey. So, uh, anyhow, uh, second week with these Samson mics, and I, I, I don't know, Mark, Mark it may, may be the last. I think I might send these things in. I, think I, might, I might toss them back. Where'd you get them, Amazon? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I like them. I'll, I'll try it one more week, you know, but it, it doesn't sound like... I, I'm, not, I'm not thrilled with the sound I'm getting out of them. Not happy. Well, if you're not happy, Wade... And I, like, I typically like Samson material, but uh, Samson makes good stuff. But I don't know. These are not... They're not doing the job. Well, then dump them. And let's talk about DVDs. Might as well. Uh, Mark, start us off with some Motown. And I don't mean sing any Motown. I mean, talk about that Star Vista, Time Life, Motown release. <laughs> oh, Motown 25. Yesterday, Today, Forever is awesome. Totally awesome. This was a, uh, this debuted on NBC in 1983, and uh, it was a great show. I vaguely remember it at the time, actually. I needed to watch this to remind myself. Um, mainly because in 1983... I had the lamest taste in music ever. I was pretty much listening to Journey all day and night. Yeah. And not timeless stuff like, you know, The Miracles, The Supremes, Jackson 5, Temptations. You know, I mean, uh, horrible stuff like that that won't last at all. Right. Instead, I was listening to Journey. Um, But this is great. It's a three-DVD set featuring um, extended uh, cuts of the show. Almost 30 minutes of footage never uh, broadcast. You got Stevie Wonder, Diana Ross, Lionel Richie, uh, Marvin Gaye, Smokey Robinson. Yeah. It's great. Really great stuff. Motown 25, yesterday, today, forever. 5.1 surround sound. Sounds pretty good. Um, you know, 83, it's kind of the modern era, but not the super duper duper modern era. So it sounds really good, but, you know, not amazing. Yeah. So it's uh, great. If you love that great music, Commodores is on here, um, Martha Reeves, Four Tops, Richard Pryor. Yeah. Uh, it's great stuff. Highly recommended. Nice. Motown, man. Well, anyway. So, uh, let me, you know, what let me... That? I don't know, I was just I was having a Motown flashback. I was just thinking about some of my favorite Motown music, and it, it, took, me out, it took me out of the show for a moment. Uh, real quickly, we've got uh, some uh, Megahertz international mystery stuff. Megahertz just finds all these great uh, foreign language TV series that are just first-rate cinematic, really good crime and mystery stuff, and uh, they go scouring the globe, and it's amazing how much good television there is going on in other, in other countries. Primarily, it tends to be France and, and Italy, most of this stuff. But uh, Inspector Manara, uh, not to be confused with Tony Manero, Got the first two seasons here, Inspector Minara Season 1 and Inspector Minara Season 2. As you might imagine, this is a uh, television series from Italy. 
and uh, it's uh, it, it's not one of the best things that Megahertz has ever found. It feels a little bit familiar, a little bit like a lot of these others. I, I assume that the reason this show exists is because Guido Caprino, who plays Luca Manara, is just some kind of a crazy hot stud actor in Italy, and everybody loves him, and so it rides much more on his personality and his star power in Italy than it would uh, here, necessarily. Uh, but that's it. that said, I you know it takes place in Tuscany, and there's no more beautiful place on the entire planet. So uh, you know what it misses in certain parochial concerns uh, that may not translate terribly well. It makes up for in production value and uh, in some really solid writing and in beautiful, beautiful surroundings. So uh, that is season one and two of Inspector Manara. Um, then there is also Luca Zingaretti in Borsellino, the 57 Days, and uh, Gianno, Gianno, Gianni Falcone, the judge. Uh, this is a double feature of uh, some pretty pretty good stuff. I My only issue here is that some of the legal particulars of the Italian legal system don't really make sense to me, and I got a little bit lost in it. Uh, Bor, you know, Borsellino here, the character played by Luca Zingaretti, is a judge. And um, it's uh, you know it's good stuff if you can keep up with the particular the peculiarities of the Italian legal system. Uh, and then the last two, Cesar Mori, is um, really a, it's kind of an incredible true story. Actually, uh, this is a guy who sort of wiped the mafia out of Sicily. And it's uh, it's sort of an extraordinary thing, and this is a rather lengthy uh, movie. It's about it's it's nearly four hours long television movie. Uh, I guess we, it would be a miniseries here, and uh, it goes into all of these details and uh, you know kind of these pre the, the World War One up to World War Two period, and uh, how you know he he was basically cleaned up the entire city the entire island of Sicily. Anyway, it's uh, it, it's very very dense. It does presume that you know a little bit, that you bring a certain amount of information and knowledge to the to the table, that you're already a little bit on board with uh, you know what what how Sicily operates and so forth. But that said, really really very engaging. And then lastly is uh, Donna Detective. I know that sounds silly, but um, this again Italy. These are all Italian this week. Uh, Lisa Malini, Milani. Sorry, Lisa Milani. Um, is a detective who wants to just kind of, you know, let go of some of the tough life and not be such a hard-ass cop all the time. Uh, but then she winds up, they pull her back in, and next thing you know, she's leading up a whole team in Rome, and uh, she's got to track down the, the dregs of society. And she's tough, and she's good, and she's really engaging, and uh, I, I, I just think it's a sharp show. So uh, that's Donna Detective, along with Cesar Mori, uh, Borsellino, The 57 Days, and Gianna Falcone, The Judge, and Inspector Manara. So uh, those are all uh, from Megahertz Networks, MHZ, this week. Pretty cool stuff. Oh, yes. Oh, Mark? yes. Well, yeah, I, I thought you were waxing rhapsodically. No, no, no. We're, we're done. We're, we're, we're I like on. how you somehow managed to start the show with the, with the DVDs that our audience least cares about. Well, it's it's te- it's television. People like television. <laughs> well, not. The, I mean, to save that stuff for the middle of the show. Okay. We should we should be we should be you know teasing okay. them and making sure that they stick around. Okay. By talking about stuff that they know about. Okay. 
away. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to save the best for for later. Oh, He's this a... I got. I'm gonna have so much fun talking about this. Are you now? Oh, I am. Yes. What do you want to talk about now? Well, sure. At least that's something our audience cares about. So, so Mark, so uh, and, and and since you already know what I'm going to talk about, pretend like we're pretend like we're doing a bit here. Like okay. you really don't know the the punchline to this. Got it. So, so Mark, there's a there's a, there's a TV show. Uh, the first season of which is available on Blu-ray on nice big splashy Blu-rays. And of course, because the distributor has so much respect for us, they decided to send us. Uh, the first season only on DVD and in little white envelopes without actual final packaging or anything at all. It's well, just why would that's they how do much that? that's how much they respect us. Why would they do that? Because they're Marvel. <laughs> that's why. So once again, the mega billionaire cheapskates at Marvel decided to throw a few shekels at us and allow us uh, almost three weeks after the fact to uh, actually get a peek at the first season of Agents of Shield. Uh, but not on Blu-ray, you know. We, it, heaven forbid, we actually see it the way it was intended. So they threw some DVDs our way. It just appalls me at how cheap that company is. I'm just appalled. With, I mean, the way they, they they make no effort whatsoever to befriend the press, to market through the press. They think they it, the Marvel model is we don't need the press. We're going to bypass you because the fanboys don't care, and we're just going to throw all. We're going to put all our money into. Just greasing the fanboys. That's the and, and they see no point in actually spending. I mean, what it would have cost them to actually just send us one Blu-ray set. What would it? What would it have cost them? I mean, truly, like Marvel can't afford that. Are you kidding me? But that, that but that includes the way they treat their, their the way they treat their below they the line everybody. filmmakers. They treat everybody. I mean, why? Why didn't they take out a, a, a for your consideration ad for Avengers? Not that it would have won, you know, whatever best picture, but. You know, why don't you say thank you to the people who uh, made that thing that yeah, you care. know one of the top grossing, top grossing clothes I'm, I'm, des- I'm, I'm really trying to find out who the person is who calls the shots on this. I don't think it's Kevin Feige. I don't. I really. I think it's somebody else in the executive structure who's made that decision, and we're stuck with it anyway. So, first season of Agents of Shield. Um, here's my feeling: there's some good stuff in it, and there's some bad stuff in it. Uh, it is a it is a very ambitious show. I but. I'm I'm really on the fence about all of their attempts to. I think there's a point at which you got to stop tying everything into everything else, because you're you're eventually going to. I realize the Marvel universe in, the, in comic books works this way, and I realize Kevin Feige wants it to work this way in film as well. But not everyone is going to be seeing every Iron Man film, every Thor film, every Avengers film, every Captain America film, every Hulk film. And watching every single episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just so that they can literally live their lives vicariously in this alternate universe of, of internet, like perfect Marvel interconnectivity, Guardians of the Galaxy and everything. It's like, oh my gosh, there's that guy who was in that movie and the person with this and then they well, got the thing. Well, but here's the thing though. Then Loki's, Loki's sword is showing up in Captain America and then at the end it's the... the no, it's the like, thing oh with my Agents gosh. of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that the reason why this show is kind of sputtering, although it did get a new season... Is because you know it's Captain America doesn't show up, Iron Man does not show up. Correct. You know it's a real. They're they're trying to expand the universe without using those core characters. But it ties in. It sort of dovetails from the the first Avengers movie, right? Well, it has to because otherwise there'd really be no reason to watch and it. And then it tied in most recently to the Winter Soldier. But I don't know that that was a smart thing to do because you're assuming that people who are watching this show, if you didn't, I mean, tell me, if you had not seen the Winter Soldier, would this would would that would there be a deficit in your enjoyment of the series? Uh, 
I, I guess if I had to know it, yeah, I guess I would have to go online and see, try to fill in the blanks and I see what I missed. I, I agree. I, I think they're, they, they are expecting more, they're expecting a higher level of participatory involvement from the audience in the Marvel Universe than they're going to be able to get long term. Right. I, I really do. I think that I think it's a mistake. I mean, it. But that said, there's some very interesting and ambitious things. But I think they gotta they gotta loosen the the, the bootstraps a little bit. They really they, they gotta not. It, I, I know it's really fun to sit in those executive meetings and figure out who you know how everything is gonna cross pollinate and cross promote everything else. But at a certain point, that's that. Once that starts unraveling, there's no putting it back together. If, if they had, if they had two or three core superhero appearances every season maybe maybe you know I, what like episodes uh, 1, 2, 3 and 4 build up to the Iron Man appearance in 5 I don't episode even, 6, 7, 8 and 9 build up to the Iron, to the uh, Captain America I don't even think that would work I don't even think that would work you know what works uh, Wade? what works? NYPD Blue oh yes that was a good show it was a good show yeah. Dennis Franz and uh, Rick Schroeder yep is in this season 7 and uh, I mean at this point you know the the original inspiration was starting to wane, mm-hmm. but still, people dug it. And um, it's from 2000, so it's kind of old, and I don't know why you'd want to necessarily um, revisit this unless you're a total NYPD Blue completist. In fact, that show, this show's kind of forgotten a little bit. But uh, most definitely, well, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was Bochco. It was Bochco's kind of swan song. It was the last big thing that he did. Walker, Texas Ranger, The Reunion. Now, this is a uh, Chuck Norris uh, reunion movie. This was available uh, only in Walmart. And there are digital copies available on Vudu, which of course is Walmart's uh, the streaming service. And I don't want to tell you, you know, look, if you love Walker, Texas Ranger, you know what you're going to get. There'll be uh, cowboy hats and justice will be meted out and uh, whatnot and so forth. The only thing funny about, um, the only thing I like about Walker, Texas Ranger is all those Chuck Norris jokes. Oh, sweet. Like beneath Chuck Norris's beard is like sure. another fist or something. Yes. Complete seventh season of the inexplicable Big Bang Theory. This um, stars uh, a bunch of people, uh, Jim Parsons, who keeps winning the Oscar it, this or whatever, is, whatever, whatever, whatever they win in TV. And uh, I don't get it. I, I don't, don't get it. I, I kind of don't get the show, but here's what I really understand. I mean, first of all, I, I, I get bits and pieces of it. It's kind of it's nerd culture and it's geek culture, and it, it, that's become kind Just of a, a thing. one note... Show. But it's the Chuck Lorre phenomenon oh, that really so mystifies nice. me. Chuck Lorre, even though I kind of took his, I, t- I take his side in all of his battles, typically whether it's with Charlie or with uh, R- with Roseanne, whoever it is, it's bagging on Chuck Lorre. I'm gonna like, it's his show. He writes it, he produces it. It's you know he gets to do what he wants with it. But I don't understand how he's not that great. You know he's not. It's not like he's created Cheers. It's not like he created Taxi. I mean it's these are all kind of mediocre shows. Roseanne really is not that great of a show. And well, Rose- an, oh, the, well, the, the, his, the sitcom was kind of groundbreaking for the time. It, for the time, but you look at it now, you look at it now, it's like, whatever. Well, I'm sure, it, that two, always happens. Two and a Half Men, some very that funny stuff on terrible, that show. Terrible. But it's not classic television. No. I mean, how does he keep getting these hits? I it's, don't know. You know why? Because if it was, it, it can't be either too good or too bad. If it's yeah. too smart, it's going to turn off stupid people. If it's too stupid, it's going to turn off smart people. So it's got to be just, All right. it's, just it's, it's, it's the Goldilocks phenomenon. All right. Right? His porridge is just warm enough. I guess. And it's fine. And it just does well enough. And obviously this thing has become a huge, enormous phenomenon. I suppose. Um, Johnny Galecki's in it, obviously, and Mayim Bialik has been going crazy. Who's been A couple of weeks ago, Mayim Bialik was going crazy on Twitter. Uh, you know, saying that Frozen's a terrible movie. And, oh, I saw that. Yeah. What, what was her issue with it? Uh, who knows? 
I, I don't really read the she's uh, got like a, collected like a, writings of mine beyond. beyond. She's got like a like a PhD in PhDs or something, doesn't exactly. she? Exactly. Yeah. Terrible. Although Bob Newhart's in this in this uh, in this episode, any Bob Newhart is good. Bob Newhart, so I like that. But I'm not a fan of Big Bang Theory. I don't get Chuck Lorre. I don't get this show. It is a one-note hack joke show. Put uh, it out there. Key and Peele, uh, season three from Comedy Central. These guys are just really hitting their stride. They're starting to get feature offers and all kinds of great stuff. And they are funny, man. They really are funny. Uh, these guys are a great team. The stuff is well produced. They're getting more and more money to do the stuff they want to do. It's pretty great. This includes uh, uh, a couple of running gags from their, their, their show, East West Bowl 2 and Substitute Teacher 3 are the ones that they, they, they're promoting very, very heavily. Uh, have you seen their, their teaser for their next season? I have not. Where they're, where they're hunting aliens? No, I have not. It's really funny. Okay. It's really funny. I mean, the, <laughs> they're, they're kind of roaming. It's, they put a lot into this promotion. I mean, it's got alien ships and everything flying over, and they're roaming this desolate, apocalyptic wasteland looking for survivors. They have their guns in hand, and uh, the survivors are all white people. And the way they find out if they're aliens is by, you know, the key, like, would you let me date your daughter? Sure. Bam. Alien. That's funny. Very, it's funny stuff. It's really, really funny. So they are, they are really, really sharp. And uh, they're, they, they just, they're, their pop culture jabs are just razor sharp. Uh, they're doing the kind of work that Saturday Night Live doesn't have the guts to do this last season. Man, is that a bloodbath or what at Saturday Night Live? Jeez, just moving people around and firing people and bringing new people on, and I, I'm looking at some of the like that. This one new guy, I, I don't, I, man, I, I don't think see much inspiration. There. I don't see. I, I think they're kind of really. It's time. It's time for the down years. It's some, it's going to be some downtime. Uh, a friend of a friend, actually, a really good friend of Zach's. Um, he's he was up for that. Really? Yeah. In fact, he he played it. Um, there was they flew Lorne Michaels into L.A. for a night. Yeah. For a showcase, just for him to look at potential new cast members, Gee, and this friend of a friend is very talented. He actually had a film in Toronto, like a very, 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 very low budget film. Um, he auditioned, and he's really funny. He's great. Me and Lauren passed on him a couple times, but he made he made it, he made it to the final round. He oh, he auditioned in front of Lauren. Wow, well, good for uh, him. Rain is a CW show. Uh, which, of course, like most CW shows, especially ones that have to do with, like, Mary Queen of Scots, has very little to do with historical accuracy and a lot to do with, you know, uh, you know romance and, and, and teenagers uh, hooking up because that's what they do. And um, so if you like that kind of stuff and you like, you know, the usual CW collection of handsome guys and hot brunettes, that's, like, all they do. And so, you know, I just think it's basically just a high school movie set in the 16th century. So... Complete first season of Rain. I don't get it. The show did get picked up. Um, looks good. You know, it's got all the costumes and whatnot, but I just think it's just a ridiculous uh, high school show set in the 16th century. So, uh, Years of Living Dangerously, the complete series from James Cameron, Jerry Weintraub, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is uh, a, a big, this is a big Emmy-winning uh, nonfiction documentary series. There's an interesting thing going on here because... Um, you look at these people, James Cameron, Jerry Weintraub, Arnold Schwarzenegger. What do these people have in common? I mean, Jerry Weintraub, of course, producer of The Karate Kid, good friend of, you know, George Bush, 
big Republican, Arnold Schwarzenegger, moderate Republican, former governor, action film guy. James Cameron has worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but James Cameron's, you know, big Democrat and a donor and big, big on climate change. It's like, what are these guys all, how, what brings them together? And it's this show about um, the effects of climate change around the world on people and so forth. Here's the problem with the show. Uh, without getting involved in the whole climate change debate, is it, is it man-made, is it not man-made, is it real, is it not, God wouldn't allow it, is nature just doing its thing, I don't want to get into any of that stuff. It's just, I'm talking about the show. What, they're really, what the show really is about is people who are deeply impacted by hurricanes and all kinds of inclement weather and floods and droughts and various things like this. But I don't, there's nothing here that necessarily categorically connects any of this stuff to quote-unquote global warming. So there's a lot of latitude here for people who are deniers to keep denying, and even though it gives a lot of ammo to people who are big climate change activists to say we got to do something. So it doesn't really resolve the debate. It doesn't bring the two sides closer together. It certainly doesn't even introduce any kind of detente. Um, it's really just people stories. So at the end, it's really less political than it is just a lot of human interest stories. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, if anybody wants to go into this, like, yeah, climate change, no, climate change, you're not really, it's not going to, it's not going to change you one way or the other. But pay attention to the people. You know what's going to change me, Wade? Huh. Grim. Yeah. Uh, Grim is an NBC show I like that, it. uh, huh? I don't like it. I, you know what it is? It's I've like, tried to give it a chance, but it's... it's you know, it, it just seems weird. It's like there's a detective, and he's descended from this line of guardians, and they, they like, protect humanity from these mythological German creatures, and I just... It's like, what? Can, 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 can run that by me again? Yeah. Uh, just, I just think that the show is uh, not great. And now that NBC's on top, although the show's not doing that bad, but now that NBC's on top again, which seems like a miracle... They should uh, be doing better shows than Grimm. This just seems like a total, just you know, seat filler. Is it a, is it a coincidence that N- that NBC is doing well now that they got rid of Zucker? Oh my god, he was terrible. Well, <laughs> Zucker and also David uh, David uh, what's his name Silverman or whatever yeah. it was. Uh, ben Silverman. Yeah. Between Zucker and Ben Silverman, those were years of just terrible patronage of that legacy network. <sighs> you know, and uh, look, it, look, all these things are cyclical. You know, I know. CBS. Was like the old person's network, but for years CBS was on top. Yeah. Right. Where's Big Bang Theory? Yeah. CBS. Yeah. You know, so it's it's all cyclical, and you know, people people thought NBC was dead, you know, and they were dead because you know, look, uh, Musty Thursdays was gone and whatnot, and now they're back on top. They have the mm-hmm. Blacklist, which is like a huge hit, you know. So these things were cyclical, and uh, you know, look, next, whose turn is it next? Probably uh, ABC. Well. All right, and then we've got uh, Awkward Season 3. This is an MTV series uh, all about the, the angsty politics of the kids and teenagers and, and millennials. And uh, I, you know what? I just I, There's nothing going on in this show. It is, I'm sure if I were that age, I'd probably relate to all of these issues. But as it is, I'm looking at it, I'm just thinking... You know what, they're, I, I don't know, I turn the TV on and I see people getting their heads chopped off and I can't, I'm sorry, I just, I can't get into your little petty high school dramas. It's just, it's not, it, 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 I can't, can't do it. Not important, but uh, I guess people who watch MTV don't really care. So, uh, if Awkward floats your boat, then, uh, you know, inflict your young upon the world. 
Uh, Wade, if you go on the uh, Transformers Age of Extinction Rotten Tomatoes page, here's mm-hmm. what you'll see. Yes. You will see, um, I believe... At I'm, last opening, ca- I'm opening the swag. That's what this sound is. Swag? They send us some swag. Um, you will see 143 Rotten reviews, and you'll see 31 fresh reviews. So it's 143 to 31. Guess who one of the 31 is? Me. You liked it. No, I did not like it. However, basically, this is this is what it is. It's a bunch of robots, and they make a lot of noise for three hours, and the movie's over. I mean, what? I mean, what's it going to be? Sophie's Choice? I mean, this is what this crap is. This crap is this. So there you go. So it's about it's uh, it's got a good new cast. Mark Wahlberg, I think, really uh, he amps it up because you know Charlotte Buff is this little twerp. I want to be yeah, the crap he's, out he's of him. Yeah, he's gone. He's off. At least Mark Wahlberg's like a kind of a real actor. And it's got a good supporting cast. Stanley Tucci's in it, um, and so you know what can I say? It's just uh, the uh, the uh, Decepticons and the uh, Crapicons, who, whoever they are, they're all on the run. And then Mark Wahlberg winds up running into Optimus Prime, who's been in hiding. And so they all decide to get back together and try to save the world from the, the, the from the Decepticons. Blah blah. Again, for what the fourth it's just time? The same thing. It's all same the same thing. thing. Yeah, look, I, look. What is what is this? Huh? What is this? It's, it's like a it's a bag. It's like a knapsack thing. It's like you you sling it over your uh, your you sling it over your shoulders. Give me, give this why, away. Why, why this did away. they? Why did they send that? Uh, we're, to we're, us? we're giving this away. I will mail it to the winner. Are you serious? Yes. Someone's going to want this. You think someone's going to want that? Of course. All right. Wait. Our our, our viewers our viewers our listeners are not sixty five years old. They're like I, twenty. They would love this, and it is free. Okay. okay we are going. You know what? We're, we're going to put this on the Facebook page. Yeah, you. you we're going to put you, a picture of this on the Facebook page. You run it, you, and we here, are going to give this away. Here's the bag. I can't put it back. That's the bag that comes bag? in. I don't know if I can stuff it back in this bag. Made it folds in, up just made, along made, the creases. Made in China. Of course. Um, it was. This is a the a movie. Trip. The movie caters to the Chinese. The, it's true. The um, okay. This is a transformer. Say very thin and rather cheap, but still. Uh, you know, you can use it. Transformers, some sort of a, oh, yeah, a bag. Oh yeah, you're. Oh, you're selling it, man. Sell it, Kaiser. Oh, it's just so. When you impressive. see the picture on Facebook, go to Facebook right now. You'll, you'll see the picture. Um, let's say, because Transformers is the fourth movie in the series. Let us say the fourth email we get with the subject line oh, "Transformers bag" mm-hmm. will get the Transformers bag. I'm gonna. I I have made the call. I'm gonna pay for this. I'm gonna pay for shipping out of my own goddamn pocket. Okay. Because I, well, I mean, you're, you're not gonna use it. I'm not no. gonna use it. Someone's gonna enjoy it. So the fourth person to email us to put Transformers bag in the subject line of their email, I personally will stuff this thing in an envelope and send it to you, and go on the Facebook page. Yeah. To see what it looks like, because we'll take a picture of it. And that's the fourth person who will put their name and address in the body of the email. And what goes in the subject line? Transformers bag. Transformers bag. Oh my gosh! Heaven help Transformers us all. bag. Okay, so the indie hit of the summer was Chef. Yay! Can you believe that? Why not? I know it's you know John Favreau decided I'm not going to be uh, Mr. Blockbuster for uh, at least one summer. I'm going to go back to my little indie roots and good for him. I know, right? He threw together a, a little independent movie called Chef, uh, and uh, he wrote it and he directed it and he produced it and he's acting in it. And uh, it's got a good cast. It even it even has Robert Downey Jr. pop in and a little favor from you know not as Iron Man or anything, but. Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> Sofia Vergara, John Leguizamo, uh, Dustin Hoffman. It's, I mean, it's a good little collection of people. And um, the idea is that he is a chef who was working at this hotshot restaurant. 
And as often happens in the movies, right? Success doesn't mean success. He feels unfulfilled. And uh, he just uh, decides to, you know, up and go to Miami and uh, teams up with his ex-wife and they start a food truck business. And it, it's, it's a sweet human interest thing. And it's not perfectly... It's, it, it, it doesn't fire on all cylinders. It lags in big chunks. And I don't know that it wraps out quite successfully. But it's got enough little gems in it to hang on to that you really kind of feel fulfilled at the end of it. Bobby Cannavale's in this too, really good. Um, yeah, I, it's, it is a sweet... It's, it's tough not to root for the movie in spite of its flaws. And it is, uh, it's, it's been a big independent hit this summer. Amazing. So, yeah, you yeah. know what? I'm, 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 I'm happy for John Favreau. I'm, I'm happy that he still has it in him. Blu-ray even and, after Iron Man. Blu-ray and DVD combos. I'm glad that he has it in yep. him yep. to uh, do those sorts of films. Because yeah. you know what? Believe it or not, I, I, I'm just saying, folks, believe it or not, some people who make movies actually like movies. It's true. They don't just want to make the next Spider-Man film. It's really They amazing. actually want to make a movie. I know, I know what you're saying. So, whoa. Right? Everybody wants to make Captain America 17. Well, you know what? Sometimes they do want to make Captain America 17, but like John yeah. Favreau, sometimes, you know what? You are inspired because you're an artist and you want to make a film called Chef, and you do that, and that's okay. In fact, thank God that's still happening. Wait, I don't like Paul Haggis. You know what? I don't like his movies. You love him. I don't get it. I think that guy's just pretentious, and I'm tired of his interconnected blah, blah, BS crap. I just think he's horrible. Don't like Crash. Didn't like uh, that other thing he did. I forgot what it was called. Um... <laughs> Made a good case I love Crash. One. I love Crash. I know you do. Well, Third Person is his new one, and uh, this has a great cast, including uh, Mila Kunis and Liam Neeson, uh, Olivia Wilde, James Franco, Maria Bello, Kim Basinger. And uh, essentially, this is one of those one of his Haggis' little interconnected drama things where you get these three couples. The one's in New York, one is in Paris, one is in Rome. And it's very well edited, actually. It's, it's The way that they keep all these all these balls juggling is, is, really, is really good, but... The issue is that each of these stories, their purpose is sort of to illuminate what's happening with the other stories. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that's not ambitious and interesting, but the thing is that these, these couples are not that involving. Their romantic crises are totally cliched and boring. And I just think that, like, uh, it's not great. The only thing I did like, I did like Liam Neeson not doing an action thing. You know, I know I get, I get that Liam Neeson is trying to, you know, save, mix it up. He's trying to save the world because he couldn't save his sure. wife. So he's working that out by making movies where he gets to save the world to make up with the fact he couldn't save his sure. wife's life, which is tragic, but I get it. But it is nice to see him do something like this again. So I will give you that. Uh, Mila Kunis, I'm not a big fan of her. I, don't, I, I think she's gorgeous and she's hilarious on Family Guy and God love her, but I just don't think she's that. She she feels a little a little bush league a little, a little B level in terms of you know mm-hmm. that level of, of of acting and commitment and being in those big movies. Um, so anyway, so not a big fan of uh, third person. All righty, so great cast in another kind of um, I don't know if I want to call this so so. It's it's kind of unexpected. Uh, Owen Wilson, Zach Galifianakis, and Amy Poehler in Are You Here. Uh, which is uh, uh, written and directed by Matthew. Terrible! This thing is so bad. This isn't way. This way. This movie. Is written be- and directed by Matthew. Is it Weiner or Weiner? You know what? He's the he, he created Mad Men. He's the guy who created Mad Men, yeah. and this thing is absolutely dreadful. 
This thing. Now, I'm I, trying to be forgiving because it's not funny in the I, least. Like you would expect with these three people, it would be gut-bustingly hilarious. This isn't funny in the least. Well, but I'm not sure it's meant to be funny. No, I think it is. I, you know, okay. look, I don't. Bl- I don't blame him if he wants to do something totally different yeah. than Mad Men. Yeah, that's his every right, and he definitely puts together a good cast. But man, is this thing just the script is terrible. It's not that funny. It's just it's a muddle. It the, the tones are weird. It's just I just I don't know how this ungainly, unfunny, stupid movie wound up getting made. Other than the fact that it probably didn't cost a lot, you know. I mean, it's, it's not it's not an A list cast. Nice cast, not an A list cast. Mm-mm. And I'm sure a lot of these people wanted to work with him. And yeah. I get it, but it's just terrible. The idea here basically is that Zach Galifianakis and Amy Poehler are uh, brother and sister. Their fathers died, and they're fighting over his fortune. And uh, you know, I've seen these situations in the past, and I think there is there are things in this movie that resonate that are that are very realistic. Uh, but that said, yeah, it is a it is an, a bit of an odd odd duck of a movie. Uh, Assorted Lives is uh, I'm I'm inclined to say even if this is a black comedy. They call it a black comedy about white trash. I'm inclined to say that I love this movie just because Olivia's in it. And it's, how long has it been since I've seen Olivia Newton-John in a movie? Aww. Long time. Bless so, her. Yes. Um, anyway, this is... Uh, the writer-director Del Shores has done a lot of... Uh, he's, he's never quite burst through. And uh, this one isn't going to necessarily burst through, but it's still... He, he, he's a very talented filmmaker. He makes really, really quirky stuff. The idea here is that you have this uh, this gay actor who uh, goes back to uh, where he came from in Texas to attend his grandmother's funeral, and uh, you get to know all of the insanity that necessarily precipitated him, that he that sort of gave birth to who he is and what has made him a success and all of his issues and everything else. And uh, it's a fun cast. It really is. It's a really, really fun cast. Uh, Delta Burke shows up in this thing. Bo, Bo Bridges, uh, Bonnie Bedelia. It's um, it, it, it. The nice thing is, it doesn't overplay its hand. It it sort of knows when to pull back and when to be poignant and when to push it a little bit and be quirky and eccentric and funny. And uh, and Olivia's in it. What can I tell you? It's a good Blu-ray too. Wolf, Wolf just gave us a really good Blu-ray. All right. Um, let's see, Mark. We've got. Uh, oh gosh, this. You know, I, I got. I got to burn through some. I've either got to burn through some anime or some British television. I've, I've, you know what? I would bury British television you know as what? far as you can into the show because nobody what? cares. You know what? Every week you talk about British television. Nobody cares. Yep. You know what? You know what? We just talked about a gay themed film. I got some gay stuff here. We haven't. We haven't covered gay cinema in quite a while. Outfest just concluded. It's worth talking about. Rock and roll. Right, worth talking about a few of these. Okay, uh, I'm a porn star. Well, wait, is that a name of a movie or is no, that a declaration? Name, no, that's... that's a, very, that's, a very special episode of Ninja <laughs> Gods? <laughs> that's the name of the movie. Uh, that's the name of the movie. I'm a porn star. Uh, actually, not... Uh, it, it's, it, is, it is not as... Well, it is scandalous, but is not quite as scandalous as, uh, as the title would lead you to believe. Uh, it's actually a, a look at the, uh, the gay porn industry. Which is a gigantic industry. You know, we all know that porn is huge, and California's just chased porn away with the with the condom law, so it's all gone to to, to Arizona. So you know, how Arizona, do you know that? How do you know that way? How I, do you know specifically it went to Arizona? Well, I don't. I'm just. It, it, it seems to me the logical place to go. 
Okay. It's right over the border. It's warm. You know, if your clothes you if your clothes are off, mm-hmm. it, you, you, uh-huh. you, you're not going to get yeah. cold. Yeah. yeah. Or is it warm? I don't know. It, yeah, but that's where Sheriff Joe is. Who? He, what? Sheriff Joe. Sheriff Joe. Oh, that's right. Wherever Sheriff Joe is, it's where I want to be. <laughs> oh yes. Anyway. So um, what they do is really they, they talk about a number of people who are involved in the gay porn industry and um, they just sort of uh, open up the, you know, give you a look behind the curtain, as it were. And it's, um, uh, it's illuminating. I will say it's very illuminating. I mean, certainly some people will, will likely be offended by it, but I, I think from a purely economic and entertainment industry angle, it is extremely informative. Uh, Man at Bath comes to us from uh, Canteen Outlaws, which is associated with TLA releasing. I'm not quite clear yet, and they haven't made it clear to me as to what the relationship is between the companies. I guess everything is eventually going to be TLA, so I guess it's, they, there was a merger that went on. But uh, anyway, this is, uh, this is from a director who I guess is uh, kind of a big deal in the gay film industry, uh, Christoph Honoré. And it is, uh, it's, it's uh, essentially a, uh, a gay male romance. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's not particularly different for, as far as those films are concerned, but it's not. Uh, it's not unusual either. So um, it, it's you know it's very middle of the road. Doesn't uh, some of the, some some gay romances just feel so derivative and so like they're like they're designed either to titillate or to shock, uh, and they, they they don't wind up doing either. This is not one of those. And uh, then we have East Siders, Sex Lies, and Silver Lake. Um, this is uh, from the playwright Kit Williamson, and uh, it, it takes place in a Silver Lake neighborhood, which is here in Los Angeles. Silver Lake's a very kind of artsy community, uh, and uh, it is, uh, you know, uh, feels like a play. It's, uh, it's, it's well-written. Uh, it's kind of stodgily directed. I'm not familiar with Kit Williamson, but clearly he's a good playwright. Could stand to probably improve on his uh, filmmaking skills a little bit. Uh, other films here we have uh, from Wolf Getting uh, Go, which is uh, from the guys who previously made uh, Were the World Mine, which I saw and don't remember. But this has won a number of awards at uh, a whole bunch of different festivals, and uh, it's a it's a good solid drama. It's very very well written, interesting. Um, it's uh, it. it you know, it it uh, it's a little bit of a navel gazer. It's a little little meta because there's a there's a making of a documentary inside the film. But that being said, uh, pretty well done. And then lastly, real quickly, uh, we've got another one from Wolf, which is Five Dances by director Alan Brown. Uh, well done. A uh, little bit thin on the screenplay, but definitely well directed. And then another one from Canteen Outlaws, which is Love or Whatever from Rosser Goodman. Uh, that's kind of middle of the road, fairly familiar stuff. Um, In Bloom by C.M. Berkmeyer and uh, Erotity from uh, Stephen Vasquez. Those are both uh, TLA releasing titles. So uh, that is a collection of gay-themed films right on the heels of Outfest. And uh, it, is a, it is a niche industry that is becoming increasingly less niche as time goes on. That's right, because uh, Wade knows all about gay cinema. Boy, do I ever. Tim actually used to, used to go to Outfest every year. I never, I never uh, heavily covered uh, Outfest. Yes, Wade? Okay. Oh, sorry. Um, We're doing a show. Okay, so uh, let's do... You know what? Let's do some... Uh, let's do some let's docs. do the time warp again? Let's, let's do some docs, Mark. 
Okay. Let's do some docs. Let's do some docs. Because there are some, some good ones in here. And, uh, now, when you say some good ones, you're talking about the, the Roosevelt's. Are you not? You know, how did the, how did this do in the ratings? Do you know? Uh, well, everything Ken Burns does, you know, does, put it this way, it did better than it would have done had Ken Burns not been associated <laughs> with it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is Ken Burns' latest. It's all about uh, the Roosevelt's, of which there were many and many famous ones. Um, it's... Um, it's about uh, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, of course, Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, they were, of course, one of the most prominent and uh, influential families in America at the time. And this thing is seven parts, 14 hours. And even though it's about the Roosevelt's and it is incredibly detailed and very well researched with the usual amount of great voiceovers and great archive photos and great music that you've come to expect, but uh, it's also about just that time, you know? Um, I mean, Theodore was born in, it was like 1858 or something, and obviously the Roosevelt history goes all the way well into the 20th century. And, and uh, you know, people, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's maiden name was Roosevelt. And she is related to Teddy. So JFK, uh, not JFK, FDR and Teddy are not related. It's Eleanor and Teddy who are related. That is correct. Yes. Putting that Just out a, there. Um, so anyway, so Theodore, of course, was president, and of course FDR was president, and... Uh, it's good. It's really good stuff. You know, it's nice to see um, Ken Burns jumping around like that. You know, he did the Civil War, then he did baseball, which, of course, I love because I love the subject. And with the Roosevelt's, and he did Prohibition, which I think was amazing. Um, I read a book about Prohibition, then watched the doc. It was great. And with uh, Burns, his gift is he makes all this stuff just so fascinating. It never mm. feels dry. It never feels like a history lesson. It's put together with such care. And even though a Ken Burns documentary sounds a certain way and feels and looks a certain way, it's still great. So uh, there are special features in here, including about half a dozen bonus videos, a making of, a deleted scene with an introduction by Ken Burns. And it doesn't get overly stupendously political. I mean, yes, he talks about, obviously, the Panama Canal and talks about the creation of the national park system and especially the New Deal. Now, the New Deal nowadays is almost this weird little revisionist piece of history where suddenly the New Deal, which you know pulled us out of the Depression, is depending on how you feel today politically, is either like the greatest thing ever or the worst mm-hmm. thing ever. I mean at the time no really no one really complained much about the New Deal at the time. Yeah. You know, especially in the immediate aftermath when it pulled us out of the Depression. Yeah. Now in the like Obama, you know, Fox News, MSNBC era, now it's like the New Deal was the worst thing ever. I can't believe that he <laughs> hates America. And then other people say, but the New Deal saved us from the Depression. It's just, it's just terrible. So, but he gets all into that. He gets into the New Deal. Is, is is you know Ken Burns obviously a liberal type, but even more than a liberal, he's a documentarian. But my question is: Is there any? Do you get to see Teddy's big stick? Uh, are you hearkening back to the to the gay porn conversation uh, we just it. had? Oh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> anyway, highly recommended. Go. All righty. Um, we got a couple from uh, PBS on uh, a couple of thoroughly unsavory individuals. If you, uh, you want to just really depress yourself, you can watch Al Capone, Icon, or uh, the Fidel Castro tapes. Uh, gosh, what a, what a couple of pieces of work these two are. Uh, truly, Al Capone, the Al Capone doc is, uh, is interesting in the sense that so much time has passed since Al Capone was like a significant figure that no, all anybody really knows is he had a vault that Geraldo found nothing in and they got him on, ta- on, uh, on tax evasion. That's like all anybody remembers about Al Capone now. And uh, really, when you go back and you, you visit this, you're like, 
wow, this is amazing because Al Capone was kind of like he, he, you know, he was not like how did he control so much for so long, being such a horrible person? Well, because he actually like dictators. He knew where to patronize. Like he was a big jazz patron. I mean, he gave at a time when uh, when black musicians were heavily discriminated against. He really kind of you know helped facilitate a lot of careers. That, among many other things, you know, he was like a, a patron of other areas in the arts and so forth. Al, uh, Al Capone. But that's was, why these guys are so great because they are they are just as charming as they are terrifying. Yeah, it's true, and that's what makes them fascinating. Yeah. And then, of course, Fidel Castro, uh, this just gets into the, the whole... Uh, you actually have recordings here, which is what makes this whole thing so upsetting. Uh, but really, it, 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 it's... You, you know, you hear the lunatic uh, far too often in his own words, and, uh, man, that guy just will not die, right? That's just unbelievable. Anyway. Um, and <laughs> that's true. Anyway. Uh, yeah. David uh, David Sushit, uh, star of uh, the Poirot series, Inspector Poirot, steps outside of the mustache and the whole Agatha Christie persona for this really cool documentary series that's now out from the Athena line of uh, Acorn, and it is called uh, In the Footsteps of Saint Paul, which is uh, the essentially tracing the history of Christianity, beginning with the figure of Paul the Apostle. So it's this is like all post Jesus. This is in a much more readily documented period and you go back to that first century and uh, it is it is not an evangelical approach it is not a preachy approach it is not a religious approach it's a historical approach and it is it is thoroughly fascinating and he talks to archaeologists and he priests and everybody else and he you know they go to all of the locations and um, it, it, from it from a purely historical standpoint it is just beautifully beautifully made and really fascinating and what a great what a great guy to host it he's so intense and yet he's just so curious about everything. I mean, he legitimately is not just a guy who was hired to host a show. He actually is really, really interested, and he makes you interested as a result. Uh, Wade, a good documentary that I would highly recommend is called For No Good Reason, and For No Good Reason is a uh, bio-doc on a very controversial and pretty amazing British artist named Ralph Steadman. Now, Ralph Steadman, um, he's sort of known for his associations with Hunter S. Thompson. In fact, some of his artwork, I believe, was in... Um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Because hmm. uh, you know, when they're driving down the road, sure. going to Vegas, it gets all trippy and weird. Uh, this stars, uh, or the star doesn't star, but it features uh, Johnny Depp and Richard E. Grant, Terry Gilliam, um, and Jan Wenner, who created Rolling Stone, the uh, publisher. And it's great stuff. Very interesting stuff. Very intimate portrait. It talks about his, um, uh, Stedman's work, how he became, how he landed on the style he landed on, um, all the images he he put out there, which a lot of them are very startling and a little bit, uh, a little bit disturbing. Um, so it's good. It's a really good documentary for no good reason. If you're interested in uh, in artistry, if you're interested in the type of artistry that would influence someone like Terry Gilliam and Johnny Depp, you are going to want to check out for no good reason. It's good stuff. Great. Uh, I got a couple of war ditties here, but you've never heard the word ditty combined with war, have you? Yes, I did. Uh, that's what I do. Anyway, uh, the first the, the first one is uh, the Hornet's Nest on Blu-ray. This is uh, this is really good. It is uh, it's essentially uh, a you know a, a bird well not even a bird's eye. It's like an on the ground embedded journalist view of uh, military actions in Afghanistan. I'm I'm not quite sure there's a, there's ultimately a point to it other than to immerse you in these events. 
and uh, how things go wrong and how things go right and how bloody and violent and random and unpredictable it is. Uh, but it's really, really good, and it's you know the the Blu-ray with the with the DTS audio and the uh, and there's no sweetening here. I mean, they capture amazing imagery and amazing audio, and it uh, this is what Blu-ray is made for, at least from the the photojournalist or the video journalist point of view. So it's uh, it, it makes you certainly never ever want to go to Afghanistan. I'll say that this is the worst thing for the Afghanistan the Afghani tourism industry that's ever been done. And then the other one is Korengal. Um, Korengal was uh, directed by Sebastian Younger, or Junger, however you want to pronounce it, who uh, previously did uh, Restrepo. And uh, he is, of course, a journalist himself. And uh, Restrepo is, it's, it's not even like a prequel and a sequel thing. It's like it's, it's all from the same incident in the same area, and, and he just clearly had more footage than he knew what to do with. So he's pieced it together into yet another film. And uh, it is, it is it's, again, this is from Virgil Films, and it is brutal, and it is immersive, and it puts you right there in the middle of the action, and it's really tough. And the nice thing here is you get a bonus feature, uh, a TED Talk by uh, Sebastian on why veterans miss war and a commentary. The commentary is sharp, but the TED Talk is incredible. It's really incredible, and that's one of the best extras I've seen, uh, the most unpredictably or unexpectedly good extras in quite a long time. Uh, Wade, one of the most talked about uh, documentaries of a recent vintage is Fed Up, and Fed Up is uh, narrated by Katie Couric. And it is all about how we just really eat crappy food all the time. I'm sure. <laughs> but a lot of this has to do with the childhood obesity and the insidious you know, big food companies and the fact that we just don't have the political will to address the problems. And obviously people, love, people just love their crap food and won't do anything about it. So I don't know that this is necessarily in terms of like you – know, we were talking about Ken Burns earlier. I wouldn't call Stephanie uh, – I'm going to butcher her name – Stephanie – Sochtig's documentary, yeah. I, would I wouldn't call her Ken Burns-esque in the way she puts over this information, but it's still great information. And again, if you've got kids, uh, I know uh, Wade Major has a daughter who will be eating lots of junk food soon. Because Wade, Wade will do nothing but feed her, feed his daughter just, just Reese's Pieces. And, yeah, it's not and happening. Peanut butter and chocolate cake just stuffing her face with yeah, just Malamars and Drinking Yoo-Hoo all the oh, oh maybe 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 the, the Yoo-Hoo it's America's favorite chocolate drink yes it is <laughs> anyway um, it's it's good stuff it's really good stuff it's very it's it, it's it's alarmist but it's not over the top and they she introduces you to all these kids who are struggling with weight issues you know there's the 14 year old a 12 year old a 15 year old and others too gets into how the government really couldn't care less. I mean, they, they, they give lip service to promoting health and promoting, uh, you know, wellness, but let's face it, you know, the, the government and big food, they're all in collusion together. Yeah. And this documentary, Fed, Fed Up, gets into all of it, and it's a wake-up call. It's really, really good. Fed Up. Uh, a couple from the PBS Secrets Of series. This is a, it's a you know, it's all exploring London and uh, whatever else, but primarily, you know, British stuff. And Secrets of Westminster is uh, a beautiful tour of Westminster Abbey, Parliament, and Big Ben. Parliament is important because if you're not a British citizen, you can't get into Parliament. It, it just, that's just how it is. You've got to have a British passport to even get into the building. That's the new security measure. And it's an amazing building. Uh, I, of course, stood on the outside uh, last time I was in London, and last several times, and I, uh, I just sort of sneer at the statue of Oliver Cromwell for all kinds James of... James Cromwell from Babe? 
No, Oliver Cromwell. James Cromwell from Star Trek First Contact? Oliver Cromwell, who, who ejected my ancestor from England. Threw him out. It's all Kicked about him out. you. I referenced Star Trek First didn't, Contact. Didn't you want, referenced your ancestors. Didn't want uh, my ancestors... Uh, he, my ancestor objected to his sister marrying Oliver Cromwell's uh, son. I have no idea what you and just said. And he was like, get out. That's so right. he got out. But anyway, Big Ben, also pretty awesome. Uh, Westminster Abbey, wonderful. Wonderful place to tour. Lots of, lots of cool people are, are dead there and rotting under the, uh, under the stones. And then Secrets of Her Majesty's Secret Service is all about MI6 at least as much as they can tell you without killing you. And, uh, you know, we know all about MI6 from the TV show and from James Bond and a million movies. And uh, it, uh, it, is, it is over 100 years old now. And uh, what I didn't even realize is they didn't actually admit that MI6 existed until 1994. Did you know that? Really? Yeah. We knew about MI5. Right. But, you know, whenever you said MI6, they, they were just going, there, there is no MI6. It's, it only goes to five. There's no MI6. It, it only goes to five. Governor? In which you, 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 you're supposed to say, but this one goes to 11. I'll bet you there's an MI11. Wouldn't that be great if there was an MI11? No. No, maybe not. Anyway, uh, no, this is, so as much as they can get into it, they, they get into it. And it's, uh, it's fascinating and it's really interesting. But uh, it you know, barely fills an hour. Um, this is a weird story. Okay. And there's a documentary called The Galapagos Affair, Satan Came to Eden. Oh, of course. <laughs> you don't know. It's interesting stuff. I was not aware of this at all. So, in the 1930s, um, this doctor from Berlin and his mistress decide to start a new life on this completely uninhabited island. Uh-huh. True story. Yeah. And it was covered in the international press. And they were called the Galapagoses, Adam and Eve. These two people drop out of society and they decide to, they're going to go to this uninhabited island and live like Adam and Eve. So when the press starts covering it, other people start coming. And when other people start coming, someone's going to bring a gun. And if someone brings a gun, someone's going to get hurt. And the Galapagos affair, Satan came to Eden, is all about that. And it's... it's it's, 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 the story is just, just it's melodramatic and it's exotic and there's lots of you know intrigue and there's there's violence and it's just really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of talking heads in it, you know, a lot of talking heads because I mean, there's obviously very very little f- super footage, you know. Um, they have a lot of footage of you know the local you know wildlife and whatever turtles that live there, but uh, it's really interesting. I just uh, I had no idea that this story existed and that's what the best documentaries do. And so I would definitely check out the Galapagos Affair, Satan Came to Eden. It's a little bit of a pulpy, um, pulpy subtitle. But uh, there's 14 deleted scenes. This thing played at Telluride. So the uh, DVD includes the um, director Q&A. There's the trailer. And uh, it's a decent HD um, transfer, considering a lot of the footage is very old. So, um, yeah, it, this is a new, interesting, weird, kind of like documentary, the Galapagos Affair. Very intriguing stuff. Fantabulous. Uh, our last documentary, before we uh, dovetail into some other stuff to uh, wrap out the show, is Casting By, by uh, documentarian uh, Tom Donahue. And, you know, this is an interesting doc, because it's a wonderful, wonderful look at the history of a particular part. It's looking at the history of movies through the craft of casting, and specifically the contributions of a casting director named Marion Dougherty. Marion Dougherty kind of pioneered casting as it is today. And if you look at movies and you always see casting by, nine out of ten times you're going to see casting by and there'll be women's names. It has become 
a field that women dominate as much as you know men dominate in cinematography and in composing and, and other crafts. Women dominate in casting. And it's really interesting because it didn't always used to be that way, but Marion Doherty sort of pioneered that and brought in this this group of women who went on and started their own firms, and you know, then each one of theirs their acolytes started a firm, and next thing you know, suddenly the women have beget, begotten women have begotten women, and the casting field has become primarily dominated by women. And this gets into that history and in the history of the of, of certainly there are men that they talk about here as well who were crucial in, in casting. But they, they sort of they trace it through the different movies and Midnight Cowboy and all kinds of movies that have just fascinating casting history. And you're loving this, and then at the end, uh, you realize there's a little bit of a bait and switch, that this movie was made specifically to uh, evangelize the creation of an Academy Award category for casting directors. Oh, that's not fair. But that being said, I don't care. It's still a terrific film. It's still a terrific film. This is from HBO Documentary Films, who always does really, really good work. And despite the fact that it just sort of shamelessly pitches that at the end and feels like the whole thing was just a giant, you know, PSA for the sake of creating a new Oscar category, it the, you, you just can't deny it. It's a great history. It's an important history about a great woman and some other really great figures and lots of great interviews and movie clips, and it makes you fall in love with the movies all over again. And uh, you certainly learn to appreciate the value of casting. That's Which true. is a really unsung, you know, area. It's well, it, it is because we take it for granted. Oh, we look, do. there's Harrison Ford in, uh, you know, Han Solo. Yeah, that just sort of like just happened. Yeah. No, it didn't just happen. Somebody brought him in. Yep. Like for instance, and this is a turn. This is a bad example, but uh, when I did a show, you know, like probably I did a show about twelve, thirteen years ago, and the casting director of the show said to me, it was a reality show. Um, Casting, it was around Spike. The casting director said, "There's this, there's this woman. I bring her in for everything I do, and she would be perfect for this. You've got to read this woman, who I love so much because she's so funny. You're gonna love her. I'm gonna bring her in, check her out." So I said, "Yes, Mrs. Casting Director, whose name I can't remember. Uh, who, who is this woman? You want? To, you've got to see this woman named Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig is great." So I'm like, "All right, bring her in." So the, she brought in Kristen Wiig, and Kristen Wiig was, of course, fantastic, and we cast her in the show, and the show was called The Joe Schmo Show, and then she went on to become Kristen Wiig, but it was all because this casting director always brought Kristen in, just to meet as many people as she could, read in front of as many producers as she could, loved her so much, just pushed her up the hill, and eventually mm. she became Kristen Wiig, and now, of course, she's great. Now, now she's Kristen Wiig. Yes. Before she was just Kristen Wiig. Well, when she met me... Yeah. The one time she met me, she was just Kristen Wiig. So, uh, four quick films here from uh, Screen Media, who does a lot of little indie things that uh, sometimes fall below the radar. Uh, one is Ten Rules for Sleeping Around, which includes Jesse Bradford, who has done so much better work, and I really wish that Jesse Bradford would show up in something better than this. Uh, this is kind of a, th a throwaway movie about a couple of buddies who... Um, you know, are a couple of womanizers, and uh, when their other womanizing friends start to settle down, uh, they try to you know force the issue and prove that they're not going to settle down. It, it just doesn't. It's just one of those movies that goes tries to be extreme and raunchy, and it doesn't really work. Uh, Hoser is uh, is okay. Um, this is about a uh, a guy who hosts a sports radio show and uh, tries to. He's a bit of a shock jock. 
and he gets a concussion and then says I'm gonna be a tough guy I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna get any uh, anything for it I'm not gonna get treated for it and naturally everything you know from there he pays the price and the consequences uh, dovetail and um, it winds up being a bit of an issue film uh, because con concussions are a big deal in sports and hockey and soccer and football and everything and so it, it, it's kind of a message movie but it doesn't play its hand very openly and I thought I appreciated that uh, the best of the lot is The Moment, which is a surprisingly really good film that, to not get any kind of uh, distribution, and uh, at least theatrically. Good cast, Jennifer Jason Lee, Martin Henderson, who I always really like, and uh, Alia Shawkat, who I also like quite a lot, and uh, Meatloaf, still going by Meatloaf. Um, don't know sometimes, why. sometimes he goes by Meatloaf a day. I know. It's weird. He needs to just pick one and go with it. Uh, but anyway, the uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and Martin Henderson um, have an affair, and then he, he plays a journalist. He goes missing, and uh, she winds up in a uh, in a hospital. And uh, what happened to them to create all of that is the mystery that uh, the film tries to unravel, and it does so very methodically and in a really well written way. And I thought it was uh, I thought it was a pretty sharp little movie. So I hope everybody involved actually gets a, gets a dividend from this. And then lastly on the uh, screen media front is Live Nude Girls, which I'm going to say two things: Dave Foley and Andy Dick. Mark, yes. If a movie has Dave Foley and Andy Dick in it, I am gonna I'm gonna I'm going to run the other direction. Quite frankly, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> they kind of have become the kiss of death. Um, Anyway, the, uh, the, 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 the there's another movie called Live Nude Girls from years ago that my wife actually worked on, which has nothing to do whatsoever with uh, anything titillating. This is sort of barely titillating. Uh, the only thing that kind of makes it work is Dave Foley. Uh, Andy Dick is just irritating me all, all comprehension. Dave Foley has not really had the career that he should have had. I mean, Dave Foley, like, had a moment, you know? Yeah, but now he's, like, all... I mean, he, he, had his, he had his Bugs Life moment. He did? He, he, like, yeah, but you didn't see him in Bugs Life, so you didn't know. Yeah, but he, he should have been able to translate that into something. He should have been able to have been like some like low-budget, com like a comedy actor type yeah. guy. Well, you know, anyway. like, the Paul, like a Paul Rudd type. Well, the whole thing, the whole thing takes place around a, a gentleman's club that this one guy inherits from his uncle, and uh, Dave Foley's the guy who runs it, and... Uh, you know, it, 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 it's not, uh, it's it, it sort of, it winds up having a sweetness about it that it, you know, that you wouldn't expect to have been a movie about a strip club, but it's not nearly as titillating as some people might be hoping for, which I think is actually a good thing. Um, all right, we are quickly running out of time. Um, let's see, why don't we, you know what, Mark, let's... Yes, sir. Let's wrap out. What? Let's wrap out with a couple with with uh, some Mill Creek Olive and Criterion. I like it, Mark. You are a fan of that movie. <laughs> yes. Is this finally out? God, that took forever. Oh, gosh. I. You know what? It, it I, came, I. Well. Well. It, see, here's the thing. You. Yes. I was going to say it. It. Well, you're very mean because I didn't know this was out, and you wanted to surprise me. I, so I, I haven't did. seen this Blu-ray. The the thing is, it yeah, I know. Yes. Yeah, it's, I, it's I, out. It's out finally. Now I don't know. Uh, it was out on DVD like years ago, six I know, years ago. I but. know. Well, of course, we, we're not telling people what we're talking about. It's crawl. <laughs> <laughs> crawl is going to be like the like you know the Star Wars for the you know Middle Earth fantasy type folks. 
Crawl was Crawl was made by uh, Peter um, Bogdanovich. No. No. Peter Yates. Peter Yates, the same year that he made The Dresser and got Oscar nominations for The Dresser, and everyone conveniently forgot that he made Crawl the same year. I don't understand why... Um, you, uh, love, you just love the James Horner score. I don't understand why Horner is not on the, in, in the credit bed on the, um, on the Blu-ray. That's just bizarre. I mean, he's like the most famous guy in the I whole know. thing. He's That's like, an omission, I'm sure. This is bizarre. Yeah. But um, I remember Crawl. I... When I saw Crawl, I loved it. I bought the soundtrack. Wade bought the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Right? You know it. You love totally. it. Totally. Of course. <laughs> and uh, I, now, of course, again, as I said, because uh, Wade uh, decided to surprise me with this, <laughs> I have not seen this Blu-ray, um, but I'm going to take a guess, and I'm going to say... There's nothing wrong. It's, it's, it's a Mill Creek release. It's a, it's a suitable... I'll, I'll, I'll say this really quickly. It's an okay Blu-ray. It's fine. It's not like if you're, if you're a crawl aficionado and you're looking for that pristine Blu-ray that'll just like wow your guests, it's not going to show off your system. It's, it's, it's adequate, but it's not, it's not going to blow your mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a guess that if, I, if you were nice enough to let me watch this Blu-ray, <laughs> I guarantee you I bet this movie sucks. <laughs> I really bet it sucks. It, but Liam Neeson's in it, and that's cool. Let's put it this way: it it borrows from so many better movies. <laughs> it does. When the Cyclops comes running back on it, you know, it's, awesome. re, re, it's it's nothing but Han Solo returning in the you woohoo! It's the exact same plot device. Uh, we also have Betty Boop, the Essential Collection Volume Four. Yay. This is an ongoing series from of releases from Olive Films, who is uh, has sub licensed everything from Paramount. And uh, you know what? The, the, uh, it's amazing how many really great Betty Boop cartoons there are. They're really good. They're all these are all from the '30s. This runs the gamut from the '30s, and uh, you know, there's like there's like Snow White with Cab Calloway, and uh, Pudgy the Watchman, uh, Zula Hula. I mean, a lot of these are really classic. Poor Cinderella uh, is a color short that is that's just dazzling. It's amazing how good animation was back there. And because I watch a lot of uh, uh, Nickelodeon and Nick Jr., it makes me realize just how horrendous animation has become. Well, also... 80 years later, we have not improved. Also, you have to understand that, like, Betty Boop, she was fashioned to be, like, a sexy yeah. flapper girl. Yeah. And her costumes, even though she was animated, were very revealing. Yeah. And what people might not know, and this might give it some historical uh, interest for people, is that after the Hays Code was introduced mm-hmm. in the, you know, 1934... Uh, she had to uh, cover up. True. She had to cover Very up. True. So yeah. pretty much the Hayes Code was so restrictive that animated characters had to wear more clothing. Isn't that amazing? Terrible. Uh, so the, the Rainer Werner Fassbender collection that was previously a, a Wellspring release, and Wellspring doesn't exist anymore, and they released like a ton of his movies, like 20 or 30 of these movies, uh, like over a decade ago and those have been impossible to find they're out of print people pay obnoxious amounts of money for them online I don't know why because everyone has to surely realize that these movies are going to wind up coming out again at some point and uh, sure enough these Fassbinder films are slowly making their way out from Criterion in fantastic new transfers so if you paid uh, you know $300 for your Ali Fear Eats the Soul DVD that's, uh, that was you know already used or whatever you're going to regret it because uh, you got a great new splashy Blu-ray with lots of extras of uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender's 1974 film, uh, Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. And um, this is essentially, you know, Fassbender, even though a lot of people don't fully process this, loved Douglas Sirk. His films are very Sirkian in a, in a very crucial way. 
And uh, this is basically a remake of All That Heaven Allows from 1955, which is also available as a Criterion. And um, it is, uh, it is, it's, it's transplanted into a German uh, situation, into a certain, it just, it, he puts his own imprimatur on it. But uh, it's, it's really interesting to compare the two films. It really is. And uh, Fassbinder treats race very differently from the way that Cirque treats race. So, um, you know, you get that as well. It's a little bit like Chabral versus Hitchcock. You know, he borrows from him, but then he gives it his own spin. Tons of extras here. Beautiful stuff. Uh, it really, really... One in particular is, is, is pretty jarring. Uh, and this is the it's the it's a 2002 short uh, called Angst ist Seele auf. I'm half German, and you'd think I'd be able to pronounce that better. But it um, it's the story. It's a it's a it's a it's based on a true an actual neo-Nazi event uh, incident, and it, uh, it, it 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 connects to this film in a very crucial way. There's also a 1976 BBC piece, and um, it's just it's. This is must-own. Fassbender is like essential cinema. And then lastly, also from Criterion, is the Blu-ray of the 1962... Gosh, that was a good year, 62. I mean, Lawrence of Arabia is always like my, my touchstone film from that year, but what a, a lot of great movies came out that yeah, year. Wade was like 20 years old in 1962? Yeah, that's true. Uh, this is Sundays and Sibyl. Wade was not 20. He was no. born. This is Sundays and Sibyl uh, by Serge Bourguignon. Oh, Serge Bourguignon oh. uh, from 1962 on Blu-ray a fantastic widescreen spectacular uh, beautiful black and white French film um, from a director who really is not sort of considered an icon of the um, of the era you know you don't 1962 you're talking about Truffaut and Godard and you know the uh, the new wave guys are really hitting their stride uh, but uh, no this is um, and Jacques Demy right but uh, no, this is uh, this is pretty great. Uh, I'm not that familiar with Serge Bourguignon, but this is really great. It's about a veteran and a kid, and uh, it's just this this amazing friendship between the two of them, and uh, what it how it engenders how it changes their environment and their neighborhood and the people they associate with throughout Paris, in positive and negative ways. Uh, it is it's really wonderful, and maybe most significantly. It features a score by uh, Maurice Jarre, which was written right before he did Lawrence of Arabia. And now, hang on. Is that one of Maurice Jarre's electronic scores or one of his orchestral scores? It's one, well, he didn't do electronic, but he did Peter Weir stuff. So this is definitely orchestral. You see the seeds of everything that turned him into an overnight success as an Oscar-winning composer less than a year later. Wonderful movie. Lots of great extras, as always. So Criterion uh, gets two home runs this week. I didn't like Jarre's electronic stuff. I do too. I did like it. Oh, you didn't? No, you like it? Oh, I do like it really? very much. Yeah, I like it. I like it in Witness, and I Lame. like yeah. Blame. Sure. Of course, I do. Blame. All right. With that, we're done. Maybe we'll have different microphones next week, Mark. I'm, I, I'm, I think you know what. If you have any comments I'm, on the way the because we know you guys listen to the podcast in yeah. your car or on your iPod, whatnot, and obviously the listening experience is paramount for us because no one wants to look at us. Uh, so if you have an <laughs> issue. With the microphones, yeah. please let us know, and we will swap them out. Yeah, I think very I'm important. To, uh, I think I'm going to change the switch this up next week. Okay. All right.